Kimberly C. Paul. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. This is Kimberly Paul. Welcome to Death by Design podcast. Today, we're really fortunate to talk to Dean Cantu. He is the Associate Dean and Director of Education Counseling in the Leadership Department at Bradley University. Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you for having me on. So tell me, what do you do at Bradley University? My administrative role is uh, that of the uh, uh, Director and Associate Dean for the Department uh, of Education Counseling and Leadership, which is home to 16 undergraduate uh, teacher preparation baccalaureate degree programs, as well as the home to eight of our uh, graduate degree and certificate programs, uh, uh, again, uh, that range from, uh, from uh, counseling, uh, professional school counseling, uh, and uh, clinical mental health counseling, all the way through uh, ed leadership and uh, nonprofit leadership. Well, I was just happy to see leadership a part of a university because so many people get get to be leaders with like baptism by fire. And I really do feel like it does come with a certain uh, specific and unique skill sets to be a good leader. Um, so I was really sort of happy to see that in like a department head. Um, so I, I touche for uh, Bradley University for concentrating on leadership as as a skill. Well, I appreciate that. And, and like you, I, I think that's absolutely critical. There is, and you're right, there is a unique uh, skill set and knowledge base that goes along with being a leader. And and we've embedded that within our programs. And, and in terms of my administrative role, I uh, in another life, I was uh, I was in the uh, army. I was a military intelligence officer, and I know that that uh, there was a lot of my training there that focused on leadership, and and that's helped to define or guide me in terms of uh, my role as an academic leader as well. Oh, that's really cool. I was I'm ex Navy Reserve uh, Intel, uh, was stationed in Damnick, Virginia. So uh, we have also that in common for, um, which is really unique. It, it, but yeah, yeah. That's uh, another whole world. You know, but we're not here to really talk about your role at Bradley University. What's interesting to me is how you, uh, I stumbled upon you and your TED Talk, and you were really talking about death and dying and how we talk about that. Um, But before we get started, you do have a personal story that inspired you to examine your own perspective on death and dying. Can you share that with us? Absolutely. Uh, my prior to coming to uh, higher education, I was I was actually a, a high school teacher, and I taught uh, uh, social studies, in particular um, sociology, psychology, and and history. And so, from uh, I guess you would say from an academic side, I've I've taught about death and dying, uh, whether it's in a you know introducing you know Kubler Ross in in in, in a sociology class, uh, or or talking about the black or the Black Death in my history uh, classes, uh, but it really sort of hit home to me uh, when uh, a few years ago um, my, my mother was diagnosed uh, with, uh, with terminal cancer, and I saw her go through uh, the transformation that occurs uh, uh, when someone has a terminal diagnosis, 
and so it, it gave me time to, I, I guess, sort of take that academic background that I had with death or death and dying and apply it to the real world situation that I was confronted with. And so at this nexus sort of uh, came my interest in uh, later my, my research efforts relative to looking at how we, you know, personify death, uh, you know, give it some anthropomorphic form. So for me, as I, as I you know, uh, was there with my mom uh, and you know, every opportunity I could have, I sort of looked back on that and, and thought about death. But now I'm looking at it and trying to assign some sort of personification to death. And I go back and try to retrieve those personifications I've come across, you know, for example, in, you know, in, uh, in, uh, in teaching history of the Black Death. Uh, whether it's the Grim Reaper, that kind of thing, or more current personifications of death in film uh, or in literature. Um, and so, uh, you know, knowing that there wasn't going to be some uh, uh, manifestation of that form of death, it still uh, allowed my mind to, uh, to sort of reflect back on all that I had taught about and learned relative to, uh, to death uh, and dying and the personification of death. Well, I think that provides this really unique perspective, um, you know, because sometimes reality is not so much how we write about it. Um, and the the crossroads I find found very fascinating. You know, what did you what did your mother's death teach you about how you wanted to face your death? Or should I really say, you know, what did your mother's death teach you about how you want to live? I think that those are great questions because both of those were sort of takeaways, if you will, uh, from uh, my experience uh, with my mother. Um, um, I'll, I'll go with the, the latter first in terms of uh, death itself to me. It, it really is a part of, of, of our lives. It really does inform us and give meaning to life. Um, and in fact, you know, in doing my research, you'll find you know, uh, you know, philosophers and, and, and others in, in, in literature will talk a lot about that, that if you get down to it, life really uh, would have a limited value uh, if it were not for death, if it were not for the fact that we have such a short time. Um, and so we need to appreciate that and try to wring from that as much as possible. So it, it was in seeing my mother's condition, it, it allowed me to reflect back on her life, which I felt, although it was going to be cut short, she had just turned 61, I still felt it was a life well lived. Uh, and, and it was, be, but it, it was such because of death, because death is part of life. Uh, the other thing about, about death itself is it's one of those things, uh, you know, as I started again doing research, it's one of those things that I found, you know, uh, it, it really does, you know, transcend, you know, uh, temporal and spatial boundaries. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what period of history. There's always been this this sort of fascination uh, with death itself uh, as a topic. Uh, and, and, and it really, you know, there was one quote I came across by Andre Malraux. Where he talks about every civilization is haunted visibly or invisible, invisibly by what it thinks about death. And I found that to be to be so true, uh, and perhaps more so now than uh, than ever before. I, I I tend to agree with you as well, and you know, during this whole my whole experience working within the field of death and dying, and um, even experiencing some very personal deaths with Rob, my boyfriend who died at thirty with melanoma. You know, I, I I've I've 
noticed that we we want to try to normalize death. Why do we tend to want to do that? Is it because it is normal or you know, has it not ever been abnormal? I mean, no one lives forever. That is one of the things that uh, I think I, I most is piqued my curiosity and my interest most in terms of my research is that we really have uh, a strong desire, whether we're cognizant or not, to try to normalize death. And I think some of that is is in doing so. I think we 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 feel that in some way that we will gain the upper hand, uh, that we will somehow be able, I don't know necessarily, it's probably too strong a thing to say that we'll achieve some immortality, but I think it's that, that, that quest or that desire that, that virtually everyone has for immortality, that if we can come in and try to normalize death, then perhaps we can create a, a level playing field, if you will. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's a fascinating topic, and it's, it's been captured in, you know, in film, in, 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 in literature, uh, you know, of, of individuals, for example, you know, challenging death, you know, to a game of chess or something, you know, as though we're going to become, we'll be the victors and we'll achieve, you know, uh, immortality along the way. I think that's part of that, even though we know we're not going to get to that point, I think that's one of the reasons that we try to normalize it is so that we can, we can, uh, we can, we can help to, uh, uh, to better comprehend uh, the magnitude of what awaits us all. Well, you know, you bring up film and and television and, you know, the things that I've seen that, you know, talk about um, being, you know, you, you're not able to die tend to be vampires. And they feel like, you know, living forever is such a burden um, that they don't want it. They want to, to die. But it, it really is fascinating that um, even the stories played who do have immortality tend to see it as more of a curse. Well, you're right. It, it, it's, it's one of those things that it, it, we see it now in particular, we see sort of the morphing of, of, uh, of mythology uh, with modern day um, graphic novels or comic books. Now, if you look at a lot of the, uh, uh, of the comic book uh, uh, heroes uh, or characters, if you will, um, uh, most recently, I think if you look at Thanos in, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the Avenger movies, uh, where, you know, uh, you know, he, uh, basically wipes out half of uh, all of the population and, uh, and, and, and he does so sort of to try to be benevolent to help because we're, you know, running out of food and all this other sort of thing. And, and, and he's trying to woo the favor of another character who is, is death or the mistress of death. But it goes back to, you know, like Greek mythology. You know, the, the, the god of nonviolent death is Thanatos, uh, who uh, was a psychopomp that would, you know, uh, transport souls to the underworld. But you get everything. What I think is incredible about what you're talking about is it goes back to, to mythology. Uh, and, and it comes up to present day with just this desire to to try to, uh, to introduce uh, death uh, through different means in popular culture, you know, graphic novels and such. But there's this, uh, you know, even in, in, the, in the film, the most recent film, the Avengers movie that just came out, uh, uh, you know, Thanos, you know, you know, deliberated over this. He agonized over this decision, but it was a burden uh, that was, uh, quote unquote, that was placed on him. So you're right. It's something in a, in a strange way, uh, contradictory way that, that we try to cheat death, but then when you attain some level of immortality, uh, you want to relinquish that because it's, it's too great of a burden. And you know what I find, 
throughout, especially throughout this, you know, live well, die well tour, you know, visiting every state, there's always the individual that, you know, when you ask them, how do you want to die? They often say in my sleep. And, and, you know, my experience that rarely happens. Um, but it, it makes me think, are we afraid of something? And in your academic perspective, what do you think we're afraid of? I think part of it is we just can't conceive of our own mortality. Um, uh, I think Goethe talks about that. It's just we cannot come to terms with that. Um, And I think, therefore, um, we we can't see the end. Uh, We can't we can't uh, sort of conceptualize of it. Um, and so, you know, in, in thinking about, you know, how I'm going to pass, you know, you, you, you mentioned something about, you know, how do I want to die, you know, in my sleep. Um, I think we're afraid of any other way of, of dying because, uh, because we would be cognizant of it. We almost want it to occur uh, at a time and a place that we, that we were never cognizant of because uh, if so, then we'd have to come to terms with the fact that we haven't achieved immortality, even though we know that we, we haven't. And I think that's, that's one of the, that's one of the things that, that when death does come, like you said, one of the most popular responses is in my sleep. Or if you look at one of the, one of the personifications of death, one of the most popular one is death as a comforter, you know, the angel of death that comes down and, you know, and, and, and comforts you in your time of need and, and then takes you away. Even at the end, if we're if we're aware of it, if we're lucid, we want it to be death as this angel of death that comes and embraces us and takes us away. That's one of the most popular, you know, uh, depictions of death. And I think it, it gets back to what you're talking about is because we can't see it any other way. I love that explanation of, you know, I've never really connected with why do you want to fall asleep and not wake up, and and I think you're you hit it right on on the nail on the head when it comes to being unconscious, we'd have to face certain things. Uh, really, wow, powerful point there. You know, throughout my life, and it, I think about my mortality every day. And what that does for me is it really sort of wakes me up to the now, this, this moment that you and I are sharing right now. Because I don't, I don't think tomorrow is ever a guarantee. I've seen so many people die young, uh, tragic deaths. Um, and I'm, I just, I feel like when I think about my own mortality, it makes me and snaps me out of, I'm going to live forever, but I know this is going to end. And how does that end impact me today? You know, what if I had a chance to go sailing? Would this be the last time I go sailing today? You, so in your opinion, you know, wh- why is thinking about our death? really empower us about how we live? Well, and that's a great question because I think at the heart of it, I think that's what, uh, what we strive for is, is to, uh, to be empowered, uh, to have some control over our destiny. Um, and, and I think it, it, it's, it does that because as you mentioned, it serves as a reminder. It's, it's, you know, memento mori, you know, you know we're all going to die. Uh, and you need to be, almost have to be reminded of that uh, to uh, uh, to serve as a catalyst, if you will, uh, uh, for action to uh, to translate dreams and thoughts into into reality and to operationalize those because you know that your time is limited and you also know that you don't 
for many of us, we don't know when that end will come. So uh, time is of the essence. Um, and, and so you're right. I think it gets back to a little bit of what we talked about earlier is because of that, I think it gives more meaning uh, to life. And I think if, if we allow it to, I think it can guide us in a much greater manner than we might, uh, we might think otherwise. Because, because of that, I think it causes individuals uh, to, uh, to move up the queue, those things that are most important. And I'm not talking about in the, uh, uh, you know, in the sense that, uh, you know, people talk about the bucket list, you know, that kind of thing. And that, that's fine. Uh, it's not necessarily a moniker that I, I subscribe to, but, but basically behind the, the bucket list uh, 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 um, kind of phenomenon, uh, I guess, uh, you know, there is that, that impetus, that, that, that desire to want to accomplish those things that you have in life because of an acknowledgement or a recognition that time is limited. Um, and so, you know, whatever moniker we use, I think if it, if it allows us to do what we want to do in life and not continue to engage in procrastination or try to rationalize not, not doing what we truly want to do in this life, uh, then if, if thinking about death, if death is, is the catalyst for that, then, then I think we're better served by that. And maybe it gets back to what we, what we talked about. Maybe that's what really gives meaning to life. And maybe not just meaning, but direction. Yeah, you know, we could, that it's going to end. I, I, I tell people that I think of, um, you know, when you go on vacation, you know it's going to end that you really push yourself and ex to try to experience everything you want to on this really five-star vacation. S to so when you get back home, you actually need a vacation from your vacation because you were exhausted. You, you knew it was going to end, so you pushed yourself. And I, I feel like that is sort of how I look at my life and death. You know, it's going to end, and it does snap me out of this um, very awareness um, that life is short and fragile, and and what are we going to do with it? Y you know, the the most the interesting thing over the last few years that I've noticed is that technology has brought this taboo subject out of the closet. You know, this D word, this thing we're we're talking about death, um, and very much so. Like New York Times in the last few years has over two hundred articles about death and dying, and what I've noticed is that. We're talking about death and dying more, whether it's through podcasts or blogs or even television series using, you know, certain aspects of medical aid and dying it right in their script, their Hollywood script of trying to bring this to the present. Why do you think we're engaging more these days in these types of conversations than ever before? I, I think you're right in terms of, of, of seeing it on a much larger scale today than ever before. Um, I think over history, if you look at, at attempts to um, to talk about death and, and dying or to see depictions of death and dying, I think it was, for the most part, uh, I mean, you have theological discussions of it, so certainly that it would take place in, you know, uh, in history. But I think in terms of other, other sorts of ways in which we see this manifest, it was really sort of reserved to... I don't know the the poets, the authors, the, the you know the the painters and the philosophers, so to speak. You know that's where we see it. You know more than anywhere. Um, whereas today, I think it's and maybe it's a I've never thought about it until your question. Maybe it's a populist movement, if you will. Uh, you know, and more organic in its in its current manifestation. And maybe it's those 
uh, means or uh, modes of communication, such as you know blogs or podcasts, um, uh, that have allowed uh, sort of democratized our ability to talk about it. And, and because of that, we find that it, it really is all but ubiquitous, uh, both in terms of its manifestation in you know in in, in podcasts or blogs or, or obviously in, in other popular culture like film and television. Um, uh, but also in terms of the consciousness of, of, of individuals, you know, that, that we recognize that it's something that others think about. Because if you think about it, for, for, for centuries, it was all but a taboo subject unless it was brought up within the confines of a, a theological discussion. Um, but now, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's part of just, you know, common discourse to, to have conversations about death. I think we've made tremendous strides in, in terms of that. And I think part of it, and I don't know which came first, so to speak, but I think part of it, what we see is what, what you've talked about. You see it now in terms of discussions of death and dying, uh, and in terms of personifications of death in everything from graphic novels to, uh, you know, gamifications, you know, in, in games, uh, in, in podcasts, uh, websites that are dedicated to it, uh, in, in certainly in articles, in television, you know, programs uh, in film, uh, in, as well as obviously in print. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, and I think it, it's because we have been allowed to do it because of this democratization of our ability to engage in this sort of a discourse about death itself and death and dying is, is why you, it seems to be uh, more ubiquitous than ever before. Well, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned your research on personification of death. Can you talk a little bit more of what what kind of research are you doing and what sort of things have you discovered? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things in looking at, at, at death and dying uh, and, and looking at the particularly at the personification of death, the anthropomorphic form that we give to death, uh, one of the things that I, I've tried to do is to take uh, uh, the path that I've taken previously, and particularly, uh, as I said, you know, uh, as a teacher uh, um, at, in higher education, but also as a former uh, uh, teacher of sociology, psychology, uh, and history, not at the high school level, as well as history at the university level. And I've tried to take that nexus of all of that and investigate it sort of through the lens of a, of a sociologist and a, and a historian, if you will. Um, so in doing the research, therefore, I looked at it from a historical perspective, um, uh, and I looked for it in terms of how it manifests in art, in literature, in poetry, in music. Uh, and then as, as it progressed in, into more modern times, I looked at its, its personification in popular culture, uh, in things such as television and film and other things that we've talked about in terms of the current you know, digital platforms that are used for that discourse. So once I, once I did that, um, uh, my research was, was, was had tremendous breadth initially. And then over time, what I found is it started to find, started to crystallize. And, and it's really more of a, of a uh, naturalistic or qualitative approach here. But I started to look for patterns. And one of, the, one of the things I found is that there were basically four conceptual patterns or intellectual buckets, if you will, that you could put the personifications of death into. And those were uh, either, and, and again, it sort of progressed up through uh, history, sort of coincided with that. Uh, either the macabre, you know, grotesque personifications, as we've talked about, the Grim Reaper, you know, the Black Death kind. Uh, there's the seducer, uh, the romantic uh, 
uh, side of death. In fact, one of the most popular uh, genres in uh, in painting is Death and the Maiden, uh, where you have this this rather bizarre juxtaposition of a of a of a character, usually a skeleton. Uh, 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 Grim Reaper looking, uh, you know, character that's juxtaposed alongside a young, uh, individual, typically a female. Uh, and it just was there to kind of capture that, that, uh, that, that, uh, I guess that, that idea that life is, is fragile and that we all have to wrestle with our own mortality. And so, you know, you can take youth and you can juxtapose it beside death. Uh, and it's just this constant reminder of, of memento mori, if you will. Um, and so, and it also, uh, other, you know, forms of that I found were things that we talked about, like the angel of, de- of death and such. Um, uh, you know, and that's death as a, as a friend and a comforter. So I saw that as a sort of a third category uh, uh, of uh, types of personifications. And then the last one is, a, is something tied a little bit more with, uh, with modern um, uh, you know, uh, culture a little bit more contemporary, and that is death as sort of a superhero, almost death in a in in a strange way. But I guess you know, I call it comedic. Uh, uh, you know, where we see sort of uh, uh, comedic representations of death as a, a recurring character on you know on television shows like The Simpsons or Family Guy, for example, or. Uh, you know, death was uh, uh, someone on Bill and Ted's bogus journey, you know, was a character that they played a, a series of games with, including Twister. Uh, and, and again, that, that what was neat about that is it actually went back to, you know, Ingmar Bergman's, you know, film, The Seventh Seal, you know, where, you know, which was based on a, on a late, you know, 15th century painting about death, uh, you know, uh, being challenged to a game of chess. So there's this theme that we see, and it just goes throughout history. And one of the things I found is we're doing it and we're, we're almost, not almost, we're, we're just so often not cognizant of this. It, it's, it's there, but it's done almost in a surreptitious manner. Uh, but it's incredibly sophisticated because if you look at it, you know, there are hints that go back, you know, to representations or personifications of death that go back for centuries that are being, you know, done in, uh, or that you will, you will see in, uh, in modern popular culture. Wow. You know, it is fascinating. And the great, the thing is you, you did a Ted talk um, around this whole personification of death. And, you know, I, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, first of all, anyone who goes through the Ted talk process, it's very intense. Um, and you, you have to like, really have this memorized speech that it looks like it's coming off the tip of your tongue. And it, did you find that like intense going through that Ted talk? Oh, it was. You're exactly right. Unless you've been through it, you don't have the, the appreciation that I think we should for someone that, that goes through the preparation. And it really is, you know, for me and, 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 and I presume for you, it, we're talking months and months in advance and, uh, and there's that vetting process. And, and then like you said, there's this, uh, you know, this memorization uh, that, that gives the appearance that it's it's all but impromptu. Right. Uh, this casual conversation that you're having with someone, uh, when in fact you, you you've memorized uh, at least the, the key prompts uh, that will will trigger uh, what will follow. So you're right. It was it was definitely something that I I'm so pleased to have had the opportunity to do. 
uh, and particularly to talk about a subject like like this that I, I'm very passionate about. That's awesome. Yeah, I do share some of the the same things that you have you experienced. But you know, I want other individuals to see your TED Talk and and to really get to know you a little bit more. How do individuals who want to l- learn more about you and your research? How do they find you? Absolutely. Uh, well, one of the ways uh, again, I'm uh, at Bradley University, so one of the things is to 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 give me a shout out. Uh, uh, individuals, if they want to, they can certainly go to the Bradley website, or they can just email me at uh, dcantu, uh, D-C-A-N-T-U, at bradley.edu. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well, so if someone wants to reach out with me that way, um, uh, it's D-R-C-A-N, and then the number two. Uh, um, and then uh, I also have a, a website, uh, deancantu.com. Um, um, so, and I'm starting, uh, another website eventually that, that I'll link off of that website where I'm trying to, trying to create, um, um, an index, if you will, uh, for others that, uh, um, have an interest in this area, uh, so that it, it can link to, uh, uh, whether it's films, um, or, uh, works of literature or art. Um, so it's, uh, it's a place that is really a, a, a conduit to all sorts of other resources that I've come across in in my research. I love it. I love it. And I, I've checked out your, uh, your website and your Ted talks on there. So, I mean, it's easy to, um, go right to his website and check out his Ted talk, but what is your Ted talk? And if people want to go to just YouTube and, and just sort of YouTube it, do you have a, a name for it? It is, uh, the name of it is Memento Mori, uh, the personification of death. And so that's one way to, uh, to get to it. So if you went into, uh, uh, to uh, either just did a, a, a you know a, a simple search in Google, or if you uh, went to uh, TEDx uh, and you put that in there, you would come up with it. Um, sadly, I also recognize the fact that if one were to Google Dean Cantu death, you would come up with it. It's the first <laughs> thing. kind of sad. At, at one point, when I, when I bid this world adieu, uh, it will probably come up before my obituary. Oh, bless your soul. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of funny. Um, I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed chatting with you and your research and learning more about who you are. Um, you know, it's it, what is really cool about your website is that you really open your whole life and you get to even learn a little bit about your family and, um, and, and just uniquely about why you're so passionate about living. Um, so I, I, I really thank you for your time and thanks for coming on Death by Design podcast and, and sharing your point of view. And, and listeners, please check out his, his TED Talk. It's amazing. And uh, get in touch with him if you want to learn more about, you know, his research around the personification of death. Dean, thank you so much. Thank you, Kimberly. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer. This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.